Hi, I'm Michael. Welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, and this is a special, exciting episode. So I'm here with Alex Kairos, filmmaker and editor, Lessons from the Screenplay. Hello. And I'm also joined by two of my very favorite YouTube creators. So I'm joined by AltShiftX, who makes a ton of videos about a lot of things, but the main thrusts are Game of Thrones-related videos. He does recaps, or I guess he did, recaps of all the episodes season six on or so, uh, and then has these deep dives into fan theories that let you learn a lot more about the books if you're just a show watcher like myself, and uh, it's basically required viewing for me when watching Game of Thrones. So AltShiftX is here. G'day. Thanks for having me. And we're also joined by Sage from Just Right. Sage, uh, I feel like your channel is almost like the closest thing to like a sister channel for Lessons from the Screenplay. Yeah, it's yeah. all about writing and analyzing film, but you also talk about books and lots of different mediums um, and just have a lot of really, really uh, interesting analyses of the writing of all these things. And I, I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, I feel like you guys go deeper into... Uh, into one area and I go wider into a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. So but... I feel like they complement each other. Yeah. Nicely. It's fun that we can both exist on, right. the, on the platform. Yes. And so all three of us have made videos about Game of Thrones, some more than others. <laughs> but uh, Sage, one of your videos is called Falling Out of Love with Game of Thrones. So I thought maybe we'd start since there's so much baggage around Game of Thrones. It's finished. Everyone had their reactions that were what they were. Uh, and I don't want this to just be piling on and, you know, out an hour of complaining about the show. Um, I want to talk about what it means to be a fan of the show and kind of what we're going to take away as lessons from, you know, watching this crazy experiment that was Game of Thrones come to an end and all this stuff. But to begin, I thought we could start with what was the moment that made us fall in love with Game of Thrones? So, Sage, do you want to talk about that moment, if you know? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think, like, just really early on, I think the pilot is just phenomenal. The first season, Ned's death. I definitely was a, a show watcher first uh, and then got into the books later. I just did a full read of all of the books this year. I was like, oh, this will give me like more insight when I do my Game of Thrones video. It didn't really, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> still well worth the 300 hours I spent reading it. So that's not, I don't know if that's the right number, but yeah. Sounds right. I'll shift tax. What about you? I think part of how I fell in love with the Game of Thrones books and the show was not from the books and show itself, but like when I went on the Game of Thrones wikis and I went on the Game of Thrones reddits and I'm like, oh my God, this isn't just a story. This is like this incredibly complex, you know, mystery and history and world that has all of these ongoing, you know, themes and questions that get resolved in all these different ways. And, and, and you can put clues together and you can write family trees and, and there are people who have and you can read all their essays. And I think it's the fandom that I fell in love with as much as the stories themselves. Um, and part of the point of Alt-Shift-X was, you know, we started out focusing on the theories and, and those were the ideas generated by the fandom engaging with the text. And um, that's what makes it special to me, I think. What's fun about that is that uh, everyone complains about the books not being done, but them not being done allows for ambiguity about what's going to happen, thus birthing all of these theories and all of that. Absolutely, yeah. 
Yeah, it's given us so much time and so much space to to pick every little mystery apart. And there are thousands of words of essays and, and there are relationships and podcasts that all exist in these gaps between the books. So George has kind of given us a gift by, you know, having the books come out so slow, or maybe that's just Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, it is kind of insane, the amount of theories and things that are out there. And I also find that fascinating, but I do not have the patience to go through that all. So and that's why LGFX exists. Exactly. The purpose of Old Shift X is to communicate these ideas for the people who don't want to have to read theses on Reddit that run literally hundreds of pages long. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. But thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, Alex, what about you? When did you fall in love with Game of Thrones? Uh, I think it's probably the typical thing where you know when Ned was killed because I I started watching Game of Thrones when I was working a part time editing job which was basically repositioning a camera remotely at a zoo in China to make sure it stayed focused on the pandas. <laughs> <laughs> that was my part-time editing job several years yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, and I was just watching. I watched like, all of Breaking Bad while doing that. And I was behind on Game of Thrones. And I was like, I'm going to watch Game of Thrones finally. So a lot of season one was like, I probably didn't watch it as deeply as I should have. And it was like in a window on my computer. But I remember that episode just, you know, it stunned me like everybody else who hadn't read the books. And I just, I was suddenly like, oh, this is a different kind of show. This show is breaking, like, what I thought was like a primary rule of like, you have Sean Bean as your main character, you can't kill him. So um, that was where I was drawn in and thought. I thought I, the rule was the other way. Sean Bean <laughs> oh, right. right. Good point. That yeah. is the kind of funny part about <laughs> that is, all yeah, of it. That's right. true. We should have known. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see it coming. Yeah. So I think for me, it was, I came to it kind of late and I, I think maybe season, I think season five was the first season I watched like live on air. And so I kind of somewhat quickly made my way through seasons one through four. And I feel like it wasn't until maybe mid season two or three, basically, I think around the time that like Jamie and Brienne kind of go off on their like tangent. I think that's when I went from like, I'm enjoying this to like, oh, there's something special here. I'm really connected to these characters and, and love with everything that's happening and how it's subverting what I thought you know these characters were and all that stuff um so it took me a while longer to get into it but once i did it it definitely had me so show is over now (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) there's this like that that pause and that almost resignation in your voice It feels like you're saying the war is over. (laughs) That that, that is eight years of suffering in (laughs) one sentence. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and so there there have been so many kind of postmortems about, you know, what happened with the show. And it seems like the general consensus is around the time that they stopped, um, you know, having the source material of the books to work on, the quality fell off and... The last two seasons especially kind of felt like a race to the finish that maybe isn't the wrong finish line, but uh, was gotten to too quickly. Does that seem like a reasonable summary of people's reactions? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. The consensus. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of left at the end of this um, series wondering, like, is there a way to end a show like this well? And I think... I try to look at it as not just from, you know, in a perfect world where you could write whatever and it could be as exactly as long as you wanted it to be, you know, then I think the answer becomes a lot easier. But in this situation that we're in where there are market forces and people get worn out after doing the same thing for years and years of their lives, do you guys think it's 
physically possible in our reality to have a show like Game of Thrones and end it in a way that is like objectively satisfying. Well, I don't know about objectively, but um, I feel like you can end a show with like the idea of um, we're going to end this in 13 episodes or you can end it knowing where it's going to end up. But you can't do both at the same time. If you have an endpoint and you have a specific amount of time to get there, then it's going to screw up all of your subplots and you're going to have to rush things. And that's basically what happened with this, I think. Yeah, I'm curious, Alchip Tech, since you have such a deep knowledge of like the books, do you feel like the way the books are going to end will be better? Do you think that having the show end the way it did has kind of ruined it? Or is it allowed there to be a freedom with how the books end kind of what's your general take on all of that i think it's really hard to make statements about how the books will end because they haven't ended yet and i think the reason why they haven't ended yet is because george martin is struggling to find an ending that works if it was easy to make an ending to this series we would have read it already um so i think george is grappling with the very problems that doomed the game of thrones show in a lot of ways and it's really easy to like um idolize the book ending as you know it's going to be the panacea it's going to be everything that the show was not and that seems to me like the perfect way to set yourself up for disappointment because I, th- I think the story of people's reactions to game of thrones i mean yeah i don't know about objective but in terms of people's subjective experience of game of thrones game of thrones was the most hyped thing ever people's expectations were sky high um with the amount of popularity with the theories with the social media like none of that had ever been as intense as it was and i think because of people's ludicrous expectations that that, that's why the end felt so hard i guess i'm saying that you know tempered expectations are are gonna lead to a lot more satisfaction (laughs) than than what we saw with season eight and perhaps with the next book i think the uh the like idolizing the book ending is like might go the way of the release the Snyder cut type idea, <laughs> um, yeah. where fans have kind of built up this idea of something, and it's never they're never going to actually see it, right? So they can continue to imagine what it'll be like, and it only gets better in, when it's in your own mind like that, right. right? So long as it doesn't exist, it's perfect, right? Right? right. It's the platonic yeah. ideal of yeah. the Game of Thrones ending. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the smartest thing George Martin could do at this point is is possibly to um. Well, not to release the books. My, yeah. That might be the best way to secure his legacy at this point. It'll be the Half-Life 3 of, of books, and he can just ride <laughs> off into the sunset, forever remembered as the yeah. author who could do no wrong. And then Brandon Sanderson can come in and finish the thing for him. <laughs> well, George said he's not going to allow anyone to do that. Um, but, you know, when there's enough money on the line, who knows what would really happen? Yeah, so I think the the idea of expectations is obviously a very key component to all of this. And... That's something I found myself thinking about, you know, as this last season was progressing is like, do I as a viewer have a certain responsibility? Like, because it's really fun to get hyped about things and like love it so much. And that feeling is amazing. But like you said, that's setting yourself up for disappointment. And so I'm I guess I'm curious if in this age where the hype machine is so intense and there's Twitter and when you're watching it, you're watching it with millions of people that are all going to react immediately. Like, do we need to be smarter viewers? And is that even something that an audience can control about themselves? I mean, I don't know if you can ask an audience to do that. You know, like a, a worldwide fan audience, how do you tell them, you know, button up your excitement, you know, be a stoic viewer of this and see it very objectively. 
I don't think it's ever going to be a reality. I think part of the problem with this final season of Game of Thrones for me is I was okay with it not being the story that I thought it was going to be. You know, I'm open to that. And that's part of what I love about Game of Thrones is that it's usually not the story I think it's going to be. But as Sage, as you pointed out in your, your last Game of Thrones video so well, there were thematic threads and, you know, things that seem to be building up over the course of this show about these characters, about the world, about just where this is all going. And there was this weird, almost like severance from the previous seasons uh, by the ending for me. And so I don't know if it's, you know, it's a fan's responsibility to like accept that, you know, like if, if there is real storytelling problems in that way, fans should expect that. And I don't think it's all our responsibility to like just be okay with that kind of a weird last second turn. That's my opinion. I think that audiences really want to get hyped and they enjoy having those ridiculously raised expectations. But I think audiences also enjoy hating something. I think audiences also enjoy piling on and having this cathartic outrage. And that's the story of social media, right? Mm. Um, So I think that there's like these perverse incentives for people to build up unreasonable expectations and then to come crashing down onto a thing that they love. Something that people do to, you know, celebrities and politicians, we raise them up and then we take them down. And that's just something that people love to do. I'm totally guilty of that myself. I mean, I was basically like self-medicating on the Free Folk Reddit um, (laughs) with like every single meme that was ever posted there. Um, Yeah, something like reaches a critical mass at some point where it's like, okay, now we're all turning against this thing and it's a group think and it just goes on from there. But on, on the other hand, like, you know, sometimes like that experience is like actually more enjoyable than an enjoyable story. Because you have, to, you have to think about an enjoyable story. Like, it right. takes work to, like, understand something complicated. It's a lot easier to say, hey, isn't, it, isn't Euron Greyjoy an hat?" And then you can all laugh together and it's a good time. Like, it's, right. it's not as much work to hate as right. to love. Right. Like, if Game of Thrones ended with a competent ending that was satisfying and we all just moved on with our lives, would that be as interesting as this like crazy <laughs> catastrophe maybe we wouldn't be having as interesting a podcast discussion yeah, yeah. i feel like what you just described is kind of, was kind of my experience with breaking bad actually where i feel like breaking bad is kind of the example of how to end a story well um and it i think objectively does do a good job of like wrapping up the story and i think why partially why it's so successful is i feel like the the real climax happens in the second to last episode, which is, I think, one of the best episodes of TV ever. But I remember watching the finale and kind of having this moment of like, oh, okay, and now we're done. Like, I wasn't disappointed, but it was just like a kind of back to reality, like release that, yeah, in some ways isn't as cathartic as like, well, wait, we have to talk about this now for weeks on social media and and see where it goes and see the reaction videos and all the things i had the same thing with endgame where as soon as that ended 10 like 10 years of story investment and the moment it was over i was like okay i'm 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 released i you know i was like emotionally completely over it and (laughs) and like the mcu in general right Um, so it's but i mean like i can't say they did a bad job they did a good they did a pretty good job right but that's just kind of the nature of moving on from things I want to go back to something you said, Sage, where you were saying 
you know, to kind of satisfyingly wrap up a story, you can have an idea of where you're going or X number of episodes, but you can't have both, right? Sort of. Mm -hmm. So, and that kind of ties into, you know, there's this article that was being shared um, shortly after the episode ended that was kind of talking about Game of Thrones as it's as a sociological form of storytelling and how it transitioned to psychological. And the interesting points of that argument, I think anyway, are the sort of sociological mode of storytelling is letting the characters react realistically to the forces of the world and i think the first seasons of game of thrones do that really well and that's why it's so compelling and feels so real but sort of like you were saying sage once it gets to well now they need to get here by this time that kind of has to go out the window and right they're no longer reacting to the world it's just the characters are just moving pieces around the board until we can get to the end point. Right. And, uh, and fast, fast traveling. Yeah. <laughs> Since the Alice puts in her video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why it feels contrived. Like a lot of what happened in season eight felt like it happened for no reason other than to generate conflict. Whereas in past seasons, you had stuff like, you know, the faith rising up and you had riots by the common people and you had like political um, issues rising up, which which felt like real outside forces creating the impetus behind the story. But when you've got stuff like, you know, Jon Snow boneheadedly deciding to reveal his parentage, um, that, that felt like an arbitrary and artificial way to cause conflict as opposed to the natural, believable political forces that defined the earlier seasons. Yeah, the last few episodes, it really feels like there's only 20 people in the entire world. You get no sense of like what what the people think of Cersei blowing up the Sept, right? Like why why are why is everyone going along with this and, you know, why aren't there, you know, Baratheon cousins that are like saying they should be on the throne, right? Like there's a lot of little things that get lost there, which is also like again, why George hasn't finished these books because every time one thing happens, he goes, "Oh, there's like 18 consequences to this that i could explore and then you end up with you know 10 chapters in dorn sure. <laughs> yeah and so and so i think and i like the dorn plot line but <laughs> i like the dorn plot lines. we'll get to that <laughs> <laughs> the dorn plot line in the books in the anyway books. Okay. just to clarify before the commentators uh... <laughs> maybe it's just that i like dorn as a place like if i wanted if i were going to live in game of thrones i mean it's so like literally dorn spain it, right like I've, yeah. I've visited the dorn like location in spain and it's amazing <laughs> yeah. yeah best sets on the show yeah Thinking about that, it seems almost so. I think what what is so great about that kind of storytelling, that mode, is that it it feels believable and you can buy into it, and you're with the characters because you understand their struggles and they're making choices that even if you don't agree with, you understand because they're simply reacting to what's happened. I feel like that that is the most kind of it's it's a fun way to get into a story and really be invested because it feels so honest and real and i guess what i wonder is is that like necessarily in conflict with what we consider to be like a satisfying ending right like how do you end a right. sociological story because in theory it should go on forever there is no tidy ending see i always thought that like the ending of game of thrones would be very much like macbeth um and like there's the show is basically Macbeth, just over 80 hours. It's, you know, you have uh, the magic is very similar uh, in Macbeth where it's very malicious and it's, there's a cost to it, a very heavy emphasis on prophecy. You got the political contest going on. And the thing that happens in Macbeth is that, you know, the character, this is a spoiler for a you know 400 year old play, <laughs> but uh, um, at the, you know, <laughs> English 101 here, um, at the end of Macbeth, you know, Banquo, uh, 
his son is out there somewhere and there's the suggestion that the piece that is made at the end of the play is going to eventually be disrupted. And I always assumed that that would kind of be the ending of Game of Thrones where it really doesn't end. There's just this, you know, it's it's not the grand, you know, finale like on Lord of the Rings where you feel like, oh, this is going to be a thousand years or however long years of peace, right? Um, on a Game, a Game of Thrones story, I feel like should have ended with like, you know, there's like still eight people out there that want to wreck what we just did, so... I was imagining the end of uh, Hamlet, where some Norwegian bloke walks into a room full of corpses. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because <laughs> well, isn't that what uh, that what Euron uh, Greyjoy does all the time? Is he Norwegian or Danish? He's uh, Danish, isn't he? Yeah, something northern. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it's all those yeah northern places. Oh, in the books, there's a they they, they dress up as trees too. That's another. Macbeth. Oh really? Yeah, there's a ch- there's an oh. Asha chapter where that happens. See, my reading the books. It's this, this is finally <laughs> finally getting some ringing some content from it. Yeah. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I was going to say, you know, for me, as far as what we felt going into this final season, what we how we thought it would end, part of what I was expecting was a very down ending. You know, I was okay with a down ending that was not Lord of the Rings, Aragorn becomes king. And I thought they were setting us up for that in the second episode when it's like, goodbye to all the characters. Like, this is this is it for them. And I was like, okay, great. I'm ready for this. Like, most of them are going to die next episode. It's going to be a whole different ball game. It's going to be this war is basically over. It doesn't matter anymore. What does that mean with Cersei? What does that mean with whoever survives Winterfell? It was just interesting to see how, like, I was okay with them really taking it down non traditional avenues. And then the avenue they chose just felt so off. I don't know. It, it was just. I'm, I guess I'm just playing kind of like the disgruntled fan in this conversation, <laughs> but I just I felt like there were so many ways to quote unquote subvert expectations that would have felt more sociological or came out of the the rules of the world or the expectations we had of how dangerous this world is and how you will die if a wave of zombies crashes upon you, you know. So I I just I'm just so confused by their choices. <laughs> I, I, just, I still don't quite understand it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what you said is very true about like. It's it's pretty easy to end a soap opera, but it's a lot harder to end a historical, sociological sort of a story. And that's part of the point of the books. The books, like, you can see them as essentially an epilogue or a continuation to, like, the the previous story, the fairy tale story of the young hero, Robert Baratheon, who cast down the evil king, the mad king Ares, and married the beautiful woman, although, you know, the wrong beautiful woman. Um, And A Song of Ice and Fire is essentially saying that, well, you know, that's the story, but guess what? It doesn't end there because the young hero grows up to be a really shitty politician and the beautiful woman becomes disgruntled with the the sexist world that she lives in. Um, And the daughter of the deposed mad king wants wants to come back. So, like, sort of the point of a Song of Ice and Fire is that true historical sociological stories have no end. So 
I don't expect the ending of Game of Thrones in the books to to have any kind of like a, a neat or happy conclusion. And, and the name of the final book is apparently going to be A Dream of Spring. And A Dream of Spring does not sound very conclusive, does it? It sounds like you're, you're wistfully hoping for the future and or dreaming of the past, you know. So uh, I think it's... And, and George Martin has written all sorts of um, stories with ambiguous, strange, dark endings. So I think that's definitely what we should expect from the books. And unfortunately, the show perhaps didn't capture that as a result of not accounting for the more historical, sociological, political sides of the story. When Bran Stark becomes king and all of these, you know, the seven kingdoms all bow to him for strange and poorly explained reasons. I think that's exactly the sort of thing that's going to be complicated more in the books. Yeah, it's such a, it's so weird to pick an avenue to critique the show and its decisions because you can say like oh they they made the wrong decisions like these story beats should not have happened but then that's not quite true right because like had these same moments happened in ways that were you know they spent more time building up to them like you know like like if you isolate you know Daenerys burns down King Landing as like a story beat like that's not an inherently wrong choice. It's just right. on what the execution of it is, right? But it's just like the way that they've they've done it. It's you know it's very painful to 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 watch a, a lot of the, these episodes and like because of the the rushing and what I was trying to get into the into with my video was that there's kind of they're going backwards on all of the themes that they were trying to do you can go both like critique it on both ways by saying these are the wrong choices and also like these were the right choices just not the right way well i feel like you know there's a term i heard recently called organic story structure and how uh, you know you want it in a, in a great screenplay you've got great structure you've got you've got this kind of remarkable journey from at some point a character is 100 percent one way and then by the end they're like 100 percent the other way and somehow getting from point A to point B needs to feel entirely organic. It needs to feel like every choice they make makes perfect sense for who they are and what's happening to them and how the world's affecting them. And I think what happened in the last season of Game of Thrones was there was this predetermined structure, but there was zero organic you know, motivation to get us through that structure. And that's, you know, the, the moment it broke for me, I was giving it so much benefit of the doubt as long as I possibly could, even post Arya stabbing the Night King. <laughs> I was like, maybe there's a reason for all this. And it was just that moment when they cut to Daenerys's face and she has an angry face. And then we never see her face again the entire rest of the episode. And she's just now a weapon of mass destruction, killing all the civilians first before she goes to attack Cersei like just kill the civilians first I had such a visceral like, reaction I, I felt I actually kind of <laughs> like, felt sick I felt sick I was for days yeah. like for a few days afterward I was yeah. just like lost I was like looking out the window <laughs> in my apartment like what what have they done oh no it made me feel sick I I really I, I felt gross it's like this is such a betrayal for me of that character when I think what you what you mentioned there uh, about that we never see your face again. I feel like that was like the real betrayal and kind of cop out for me. Like, like own as, it. Own right, it. like as yeah. a filmmaking style, we've been with her since the first episode. And now at this like peak turning point, we're just not gonna get to see her anymore. And it, it feels like such a, you know, she's the bad guy now, everybody. Sorry, like you don't get to understand it. Right. We can't make you understand it. So now she's... I feel like it's acknowledging that it doesn't make sense. 
because what is her face doing while she methodically burns alive every citizen of the city? That's a great question. Like, it was like, what, half an hour, hours that Daenerys spent, like, strafing the city systematically. It's, was it's her so face, systematic. Was her face clenched in rage for a full hour watching civilians roast underneath her? Like, seriously? I'm sort of like I'm sort of of two minds of it about it though because like if they were showing her face then like the show is on some level like asking us to still empathize with her situation while she's doing that and so like like on one level I kind of like the idea of like okay now we're gonna go street level and just see like the impact of this like we've seen this whole backstory for this character and here's what happens at the end of it. Not defending it, but it's like, well, you but know. I think you can, I mean, you can have somebody turn villain. You can see Cersei's face while she does something horrific and you don't empathize with her. You're kind of like, oh, you're so god awful. I, I just, I think, I really just think the reason they couldn't show her face is they really didn't understand right, how yeah. she could be doing that for, like you said, an hour straight. I think, <laughs> I think Cersei, they're making the choice for the wrong reasons. So. I think Cersei's a really good point because I think the point of Cersei's character is to give us someone awful and and completely unforgivable who does these terrible things everything from you know torturing a nun to killing a dog to blowing up a city full of the pope um (laughs) and then it humanizes her and helps us to understand her like not everyone likes cersei not everyone identifies with cersei but i I think that the story is about showing us how she got there and understanding how how her circumstances and how her relationships made her the the person who she is and i I think that we we didn't get that with daenerys targaryen in season eight and i think that's the problem with it and 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 what you said sage about you know if they showed us daenerys's face it would have been suggesting that we should empathize with her perhaps and but i think that's what art should do it should challenge us to give us something confronting and ask us well how do you feel about this is is there part of this in you you know how do you i i think it would have been great if it if it if it drew us more into into daenerys's world into her feelings in, in that moment but it didn't because the next episode the finale daenerys was was completely impossible to relate to because she was hitler she was just giving right, this yeah. fascistic speech right. about <laughs> taking over the world and and she offered no even remotely believable excuses for her war crime the previous episode. She was the secret Hitler the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was fascinating how is I think I think what else bothered me was that the only way you could read her speech in the final episode is that she literally is just crazy. Like she just right. now she's yeah. a mad queen because she's 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 speaking in those terms of we freed the people that we just burned alive in in their entirety. You know so. It, yeah, it just felt so disrespectful to that character um, to just have her flip to, I'm just crazy. And that's the only reason now for what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. And to even just uh, like the way she goes, she goes mad. Like, I really feel like it should have lined up with the Mad King's going mad, which isn't just like a flip a switch. And he, you know, he did all these crazy <laughs> things. It's, mm-hmm. you know, he was spending years on the throne, getting more paranoid. Um, I mean, Professor X over here can tell me the, the, the details <laughs> exactly or a little clearer, but uh, that's our nickname for Alt Ship X, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Mega Man X. Yeah, <laughs> um, but like you know, it would have been. I really like. I really feel if I was doing a rewrite of this, like I really feel like you know, defeat the White Walkers early and then show us like a Daenerys's reign and like spend time in that you know status quo. 
um, and have her slowly lose trust in her advisors. And, and then, you know, she resorts to something like this. Right. I, mm-hmm. I was okay with the twist of the White Walkers not being the end all be all. Yeah. Like once that when that happened, I actually was willing to accept that and was excited to see what happened next. And then, you know, like you put in your video, Sage, it was just so rushed. All, the beats happened so fast. It was like, well, right. It's it's three different story, like story arcs, story like sagas that that are pushed into this one season. So, yeah. yeah. So for me, the breaking point was the death of the White Walkers, and I feel like to kind of quickly go back to, you know, the 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 what we we're talking about with the sociological storytelling, where maybe there isn't an end. Maybe it just it stops at some point if you're being truly that way, because there's always going to be consequences. It's always going to keep going i feel like the one element of game of thrones that doesn't fit into that is the white walkers like winter is coming and it will be here and at some point that's going to decide things one way or another so it also seems to me anyway that there's there is this kind of built-in uh point of resolution that will decide kind of the fate of the world one way or another in a really big way and so that's something i'm curious about you know how he will handle that in the books but i think that's that's why that moment for me was the breaking point when everything i think that's what drew me in a lot was this sort of uh the theme of we all need to put aside our dumb stuff we don't care about this like throne like the important thing is winter is coming we need to like solve it and so when it was done just in this one episode very quickly with Arya stabbing him uh first of all i was upset because there was none of the azor high stuff and i've watched too many alt shift x videos probably because i had like really high expectations <laughs> and we watched them Thornfield. michael right. sat me down and he showed me so many alt shift x videos he was like no look at all the mythology in the books he lays it all out azura high i like, feel a yeah. little guilty for getting <laughs> this many people excited for something that added up to nothing that well and so i want to talk about that also at some point in a in a good way but yeah i guess i'm curious what your guys thoughts are with the white walkers and how that was resolved and and is having an element like that in your story again contradictory to this kind of sociological ongoing storytelling i think that the purpose of the white walkers and the purpose of the supernatural in lots of stories is to push your human characters to extremes to find out what they're made of like that's kind of what like fantasy or a lot of fantasy is for, I think. Like, like the reason we have goblins and monsters and dragons is not to explore the 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 condition of being a dragon or what it's like <laughs> to be a goblin. Yeah. Uh, the point is to explore what it, what is it like to be a human when you're facing something extraordinary like a dragon. So I think that's why the context of things I think will be very different in season eight. For instance, I think that. Jon Snow probably will kill Daenerys Targaryen, but I think he'll do that in the context of the White Walkers. And, you know, we'll understand why Jon does something so extreme because he's facing something extreme. He's facing a world-ending supernatural threat. And, yeah, not to mention all of the Azor Ahai nonsense that, <laughs> that supports the idea of, you know, sacrifice and Nissa Nissa and blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's what the White Walkers are about. Yeah. And I was sad when they just got stabbed away. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like, too, that... You know they 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 are partially still with like part of the sociological storytelling in in that it is like a climate change uh, metaphor to 
to a large extent. So like we're seeing how these different political factions are reacting to something like that. But like on the other hand, I've always like I've always just wanted Game of Thrones to like not have that just because I felt like in the lead up to it, we just lost a lot of the ambiguity in in the show. A lot of the gray characters just have are forced to be, you know, either good or bad, which is what you're saying that like it that uh, something like this is going to force characters into certain camps. R.I.P. Varus. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Littlefinger. R.I.P. Uh, Cersei. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like her. Uh, yeah. I wanted her death to be so much yeah. better. She just didn't do, yeah. she didn't do anything. She didn't do anything all season. R.I.P. Tyrion's that was cleverness. The, I would think that was yeah. one of the most sinful things of the final season. Yeah. Just underutilizing Cersei. <clears throat> but sorry. I'm hey, uh, Lena got to cash a check, right? I think somebody wrote, there was like a headline that was like, she got paid $2 million per episode to stand on a balcony. Like, yeah. good for you, girl. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that was the joke I was stealing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a big hint that Cersei dies, like, early-ish in the next book because the showrunners clearly had no, like, Cersei moments to use in the final season. I think she's long oh. gone by that point in the books. Interesting. Interesting. All Shift X is this extremely popular YouTube channel about all these Game of Thrones theories, and I feel like as someone that, like, got super into it it really enhanced my experience of the show for the like pretty much the whole time and i feel like it was required viewing and now i i will not go back and rewatch season eight probably but i might at some point go and rewatch your recap videos uh I feel very differently about them. Like the recap videos became like therapy for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, yeah. it really was helpful during the season to have those alt shift X videos to just kind of go to and like sort things out and just feel through it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they're incredible. Uh, as you know, thank you so much. Um, and so I, I kind of want to talk about since again, we've all made videos about game of Thrones. Um, how do you guys approach talking about game of thrones because i think they're what i like about um your whole channel all tip decks and sage all of your videos is that there is a, a measured sophistication and uh you know ob some objectivity brought to it even when being critical it feels like it's constructively critical at least so yeah how do you go about making videos uh, about something as huge as this which people have such strong opinions about i made Old Shift X as a reaction to everything that I hated about other YouTube videos. <laughs> um, I I was really tired of people who were just overly opinionated, just mouthing off in an uninformed way about what whatever they found annoying. I was frustrated with YouTube videos that have two minutes of introduction and nonsense before they get into the content. And so I just made the opposite. I made something that was, you know, dry uh, and very text-based and very academic and something that, you know, you, the content starts one second into the video. I try to let viewers make up their own minds. It's not my job to tell you what to think. It's my job to give you the context from the books and from the story and what happened in previous episodes and what might happen in the next episode so people can take from it what they will. So in that way, I try to make it accessible. You don't have to be part of a certain camp. You don't have to be on the hate train or the love train love train in order to enjoy <laughs> old shift x i hope um i, I it's a, it's a very sort of you know academic approach i guess yeah which i really really appreciate yeah and sage what about your approach yeah i feel like um when you're doing a negative review 
and um there's a lot like there's a lot of other negative reviews for something that's so big as this and if you have a bit of a platform that you know you're it's kind of on you to be a little more measured in the ways that you deal with it um or at least i felt like that's what I, like i didn't want to um I, I wanted to critique game of thrones but i didn't want to be adding to the the fires uh like on the internet that are you know i didn't want to just like just pile on like i wanted to come at it with um a little bit, of, bit more of a measured approach a lot of it just comes down to tone um some of it are is just on like what uh some of the editing choices that uh that that was that I decided to make in in the videos and like this is something that I would not have thought when I started YouTube because the videos I started YouTube with were are very very different from where I'm at now and um, much more negative and not and a little bit toxic too you know when when Game of Thrones season eight was was airing there was all these interviews that are hilarious of all the cast members kind of uh, <laughs> not digging the season. The super cuts, um, yeah. Best season ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the class. That's like the, that's the clip. Right, right. Those things are all tons of fun. But I felt like if I put them in my video, my video would be like more entertaining, but I wouldn't like it as much because I, I feel like I learned this lesson watching how people reacted to The Last Jedi um mm-hmm. there's a lot of reviews in that where about that movie that use interview clips of Mark Hamill, you know, or him being on a red carpet and looking a little out of it and using that as if it is evidence and it's not. It's it isn't evidence. It's it's a fallacy. It's a appeal to authority, right? Just because one actor didn't like the thing that they worked on doesn't mean that thing is actually bad. I mean, you know, the actor who played Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original Star Wars did not <laughs> right. think much of those movies. That doesn't mean those are bad movies. I made this the decision to, like, not use those clips, even though, like, you know, you do better on YouTube if you can tell jokes. And, you know, putting those things in, they're jokes. They work. But it just contributes to a, a, a culture of, I don't know if you can, I can use this word on this uh, channel, but shit posting, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so and it's it's not good for fan culture, which is already, you know, has a lot of issues with how viscerally it, re- it reacts to things and the ways it takes takes things perhaps too seriously. So, yeah. Yeah, that's basically that's kind of exactly where I want to go with it is like fan culture and the state of it at this point. And I feel like the. I think I, from my mother, get a sort of like devil's advocate reaction to anything where as soon as too many people are saying one thing, I will defend the other side just to kind of create a balance. So I feel like I was really over season eight early on. And then the more people that like got upset about it, I was like, well, but you know, like if you consider this and blah, 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 the finale of this episode and <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, but I, I feel like that comes from, yeah, just looking at fan culture as it is right now and i think this is true of the video game culture also there's a lot of entitlement and ownership that the fans feel over this content and that is awesome on one hand but it can be very dangerous and toxic on the other hand and so it's something that i think about a lot and trying to figure out how to navigate it uh i think is important for people like us that have channels that you know we are influencers i don't oh, like no. to say that word. You just call these guys I influencers know, and yourself an influencer I, know. I don't i don't i'm sorry what do you <laughs> I don't like it i mean it's true but i hate that word <laughs> but i feel like you know it does i i feel like 
What are you doing at work today? Oh, I'm off to influence people. <laughs> Guys, remember to go to <laughs> audible.com slash altshiftx for the free trial, please. No, slash screenplay. Slash screenplay. Slash just right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's a W R I T E or text uh, ASX to 500 500. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that's great. But but I like really though I think so I, I think that's why I like both of your channels and your approach cuz I think you guys do feel a certain responsibility to add to the conversation in a productive way. They're influencing in the right way. Right. <laughs> I I think it's important not to pay too much attention to the toxic stuff because it is just 0.01% of the loudest worst people who are making that noise. It's not representative of anyone and it's only meaningful to the extent that we pay attention to it. So, well the part that I pay attention to like is like with going back to the last Jedi and how, you know, fans like harassed Kelly Marie, Marie Tran uh after that movie and like you know, I don't. I just don't want like headlines to be like, "Oh, Amelia Clark gets death threats because," <laughs> you know, or even you know, DB Weiss and David Benioff, who people are more upset with than they are with Amelia Clark, right? Like, don't do those those things, please. But you're right. It is it is the point oh one percent, but they can be empowered and like they buy internet content and creators, and I think it's you know, it's a pretty direct. Yeah. Well, because, you know, YouTube is all about attention and those are the things that get attention. I feel like it's easy to fall into that system and just, you know, propagate it more and more. Don't give the trolls memes. Don't give them ammunition. Yeah. Yeah. But then we won't have any memes. (laughs) (sighs) What What am I going to do? Yeah. (laughs) And so another part of this kind of the the online community of fans, how it plays into, uh, you know, the creation of these shows is that I think clearly, you know, creators are also on Reddit and, you know, George R. R. Martin has a couple quotes about, you know, if you are writing a story and then someone has figured out your ending and just wrote a blog post about it, it can be very deflating and you can either, you know, change your ending to try to keep surprising people or just go with it. Um, and I, I think that's an interesting, you know, conundrum that creators have that didn't exist before pretty recently like that we have you know these huge subreddits and channels like altshiftx that have that have broken down like these are like possible satisfying endings and we can dive into all of that and that that is fun what do you what do you guys think the creator's role should be in that like do you think they should be reacting should they be trying to avoid it is it even possible well, i'm going to defer to um to shifty on that one because um, <laughs> I know he has things to say and I'm sure Westworld will come into the discussion. Yeah, uh, yeah Westworld was sure something, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, so as I understand I feel like it, I've just given you nightmares. Like This is, this is like a post-traumatic uh, event for you. I've been trying so hard to forget, guys. <laughs> so hard. Um, so Christopher Nolan, that, that's him, isn't it? He um, has described writing Westworld Season 2 for Reddit. His intended audience is is Reddit, and I can't think of a more loathsome task than to write <laughs> a story for Reddit. Um, and he said how he 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 was on the, the Westworld subreddit and he read people on Reddit um, 
correctly guessing future events in the series and as a result he changed episodes like midway through the season and he reacted to them and he concocted this ARG where people had to like investigate images and work with these uh, Facebook chat bots in order to get codes and hints and most people have no idea that any of that was going on and I think that's a lesson in why it's a really bad idea to, to devote 50% of your effort to 0.01% of the audience, it's not a good use of resources. And when your intended audience is the most smart and deranged people on the internet, the story that you end up with is too convoluted for the average person to get into. So I think they hamstrung Westworld season two and made it a lot harder for a mainstream audience to get into. And they also made it just a worse story generally because they weren't trying to tell something that had characters behaving in believable, compelling ways. They had everything in the service of a mad puzzle box with no satisfying answers. It's funny, too, because when I think of Westworld, I can remember the twists in season one, like right off the top of my head. But like season two, I have to like, what? What, yeah, I what can't, even happened in season two? Happened? I remember the, like, the valley and they jumped into the valley. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I guess we shouldn't get too far, just in case there's a... Uh, Jonathan Nolan, right? Jonathan Nolan. One of the Nolans. Yeah. Yeah. The other Nolan. It's like the Hemsworths. I can't keep track of them. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's one on Westworld. (laughs) Oh, there is, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Surprise Hemsworth. (laughs) Surprise Hemsworth. Surprises me. Yeah, I think it's it is just an interesting place that we find ourselves as storytellers that that is a thing that can and will happen. Like sort of like success is this double-edged sword where the more people that are excited about it, the more you're going to have people analyzing every single thing, finding things that maybe you didn't even intend to be there, but now people have like latched on to that. And so now do you have to do something with that? Right, like if you don't pay off that thing you had no intention of paying off, is that a disappointment now? Yeah. I, I, I really think the problem is that people who spend a lot of time on the internet forget that there are people who don't spend a lot of time on the internet. Right. <laughs> you get nerds writing stories for nerds, but like most people aren't that invested. Most people don't watch a TV show and then spend hours looking up fan theories and videos. They just want a satisfying story and you can't neglect those people. Yeah, actually, sure. that's probably most of the people. It, it is the so overwhelming majority <laughs> so, like, of you people. Probably yeah. just stick with writing your story for those people. Don't write for your nerdy cousin. Write for your mom. Well, that's funny because uh, my my mom. Let's talk about. Let's talk <laughs> yeah. about Sage's mom. How is she? <laughs> <laughs> well, like she hates all fantasy. Like not hates, but just like would never ever watch anything fantasy until Game of Thrones. Like Game of Thrones was like. This is like a huge deal. But yeah, it didn't work for her. This is anecdotal, so it's not really representative. It's a but podcast. like there are yeah, there are uh there's plenty of people who like binged Game of Thrones leading up to this where like they're totally satisfied. Interesting. Plenty of people mm-hmm. who were casually watching it who are satisfied. It's really like, you know, once you once you reach a little certain level of fandom that you you have that investment in it that this is not going to work for you. My, my dad was satisfied. I I he he was traveling when the final episodes were coming out and he was like in France. So like he couldn't get like the HBO wasn't working there or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he came back and, you know, the kind of storm had passed. And I texted my parents saying like, uh, lower expectations, not going to be the greatest episodes. And he was like, oh, I loved it. Everything, everybody ended up where I wanted them to, you know, Sansa's queen in the north. And that's all great. <laughs> and he, he was very pleased and fine with it all. You yeah. Know? So it was 
it was interesting to hear that perspective of somebody who hasn't thought about it at all between episodes. At a certain point, you just have to accept that this is not for us. Yeah. Mm. Right. It's it's for it's it, it, yeah. It started being just to you know get the widest possible audience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just I mean... going back to the like idea of subverting expectations, though. Like, I feel like subverting expectations is like a worthwhile storytelling goal if it's like a commentary on some kind of existing formula that's out there that's recognizable immediately you know there's a hundred of those in game of thrones that you can recognize um but what what season eight was really more interested in wasn't really subverting expectations even though that phrase gets thrown around a lot it was really just surprising people um and i think like mere surprise like is not nearly as interesting a storytelling goal and like should always be like like you should go like things need to be satisfying as well um and like subvert like subverted expectations can be very satisfying surprise isn't as worthwhile a storytelling goal um it creates a lot of shocking moments for the show and i think the creators learn the wrong lessons there where it's like oh this gets us buzz this gets us more viewers this gets us everything like you know a storyteller can it's very easy to get distracted when you're telling a story. And I think like that's the often the case with like, you know, the biggest uh, movie franchises or TV shows where that are like, fa- you know, famously known for not ending in a in a satisfying way or going astray. I feel it's because the storytellers are getting distracted by the spectacle or the, the buzz of it. There's something that's taking them away from like what the core of the story should always be, which is on characters and theme um you know telling a story that uh that progresses in a in a logical manner another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, I think something that can also happen when writing a TV show is that there are factors outside of your control as the creator. Like you maybe introduce a character that people fall in love with and then it kind of feels like, well, you can't have them become a bad person. Like whatever Tyrion's plotline like could have been or would have been everyone loves him too much and if you do something wrong i feel like that'll create a backlash that you know i'm sure at least hbo wouldn't have wanted michael that that bron plot line in season eight was essential (laughs) (laughs) he had to he had to survive the season seven battle because you just had to have Uh, you had to have him there making jokes at the uh, end critically important character yeah (laughs) so painful Yeah. But, but you know, he's the only other character in King's Landing, right? So who else is there he got yeah. to talk to? You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, another thought I had when you were talking, Alex, about your parents watching it and, and you know, they enjoyed it and people that didn't have this kind of long time to like simmer with the show, being more into it. I thought I had was I wonder if it had, if people's reactions would have been different if they'd released all eight episodes at once. Like, I think there's something about releasing it uh, you know, weekly, episodically, that can help build the hype because everyone, like, after every episode, it's like, oh, my God, can't believe this. we're talking about it all week and it's, like, building momentum and all this stuff. But I feel like this last season, 
it all backfired and just right, right. the, the more time people had to talk about it the worse things got for the, it the buzz cuts both ways yeah buzz is a two-sided blade <laughs> <laughs> damn <laughs> you know it, it, if they release it all at once we could have like binged it and just ripped the band-aid off quickly but the right. way season eight came out slowly that that was a slow death which is not always the best death especially like yeah like like the second half of the season yeah post long night just felt like a slow kind of sad yeah Yeah. because very little was happening like there were there were like the key climactic moments of like the battle with the white walkers daenerys burning king's landing and john killing daenerys and around that there was an awful lot of just silent shots of Jon snow looking sad Tyrion looking troubled daenerys looking mad there's so little dialogue and there's so little action which you know maybe they want to give us give a contemplative tone but you need to give us something to contemplate and i think maybe that's what they failed to do she's my queen <laughs> yeah i don't want it <laughs> yeah it's just, i i uh i do that's pretty good that's like my first try at it that's john's yeah it was yeah. really good uh oh john you beautiful like idiot um it's yeah that's just another thing that i'll be curious to see in, in future shows like how time plays a role in you know whether it's released all at once, having that week between episodes, how that affects things, but also just having a series that's been going for eight years, like the culture and the world that the series starts in is not the one that it ends with. And I feel like there were problems and adjustments that had to be made because of the shift in culture that, you know, are warranted and I understand, but I think also just twists. I just feel like I think it's worth giving at least a little bit to D&D, saying there are a lot of other forces that affect the process of creating a TV show that you can't control. Right. I mean, they were trying to do, like, the most difficult thing to do. Um, right. Their, like, ta- their very... task is impossible. I mean, it <laughs> yeah. was an impossible task yeah. to yeah. begin with. To do, yeah, to do it on the fly, right, after running out of book material, you know, comes down to, you know, they didn't want to do more episodes, and I think that's what killed them in the end. But, like... You know, also, how long do you want to be adapting someone else's work? You know, eventually you want to go on and make an impact somewhere else. Um, so, you know, you know, I bet there's a lot of other people who would have been more than happy to step in <laughs> if D and D wanted to step out. Right. Well, I think yeah. you yeah, point that out a, in your video, I right? Yeah. They yeah, could have really given sure. me a call yeah. at any time. <laughs> I would have yes. been there. Yes. <laughs> Got on the first plane. Yeah. yeah. No, they should have had you as a consultant. I feel something. like you're like the brand of. <laughs> like the, that universe. The I, hope, I, hope, I hope I'm a little more charismatic. <laughs> yes, a lot more personality for sure. But like, if you're going to be like a, like an heir to the throne to take it over, like you know, I'm maybe better at Bran is the right choice. I like it. I kind of think of it as the the Dark Knight Rises effect. That's kind of the first example I encountered where Christopher Nolan made the Dark Knight, which just immediately became one of the best movies of all time. It's this impossible lightning in a bottle. You could never do it twice. You could never do it on purpose. Now go make a sequel. And it's just kind of like a a doomed to fail kind of a thing. I think a lot of it comes down to luck. Like so many things have to just fall into place to get something like Game of Thrones right. And, you know, lightning struck like four times in a row with the first four seasons. And like, it's just a matter of time before the odds go against you. Like, I mean, there are many things that weren't luck that made Game of Thrones bad, but I'm sure, you know, fortune has something to do with it. 
I will say I love season six as a non-book reader. I read the first book, but I I really love season six. I do too. I think that's, I feel like that was in the sweet spot for me where they had the momentum of the books and then got to do like cool TV stuff and blow stuff up and do cool battles. Everything that happens in season six is pretty, it's like implied to happen in the existing material. So there's like not that much. Yeah, it's just like a little bit of an extension from from it, and then season seven and eight, they're basically you know freestyling. Yeah, so. that's where the fast travel really kicks in. Yeah. yeah, I can't forgive what they did to my girl Arya. <laughs> what part? Her in Bravos, like fighting the Terminator waif and like getting stabbed and falling into the canal water, and then doing parkour the next episode <laughs> like that. That's right. That was yeah. rough, man. But like, she cuts off the candle. And it's like cool, <laughs> but then like, because <laughs> she can fight in the dark. It was cool because she was blind and she wasn't. In the books, though, it's like not even that much better, though, because like there's like a chapter where she just like runs into Sam. Okay, <laughs> you know it's like you know what I mean. There's like a like it kind of the Bravos chapters are are tough. Bravos is a great setting in theory, but... I think George could be accused of too much setup. I, I tend to think that Aya's adventures in Bravos haven't really started yet in the books. George has said that he could write multiple novels and series just about Aya's adventures in Bravos, so I think he's having trouble narrowing in on the story he wants to tell, perhaps. I feel like maybe, like maybe the problem with Game of Thrones is that you have one guy basically attempting to create... like. A t- entire universe that's as big as like um, the Marvel universe, right? Like in the comics, um, and like he maybe needs like like the format of book publishing does not support what he's trying to do. And like if he was just allowed to publish like tiny little books of of Arya, you know, like. I think that he, he might have an easier chance with that. He sort of did that, interestingly enough. Like uh, there were these sort of anthologies published like there was blood of the dragon which was just the daenerys chapters of a game of thrones and i believe that came out possibly before a game of thrones did so there are actually like individual arcs that he's published and he has published like individual uh like preview chapters from the upcoming next book and so like he does seem to be straining against like conventional publishing in certain ways and of course you know physically his books are so large that that they cannot be um bound without (laughs) you know, bursting, and that's why a lot right, of the books right. are published in two parts. Yeah. So both physically and <laughs> metaphorically, <laughs> he is he is struggling against the the uh, conventions yeah. of publishing. No, he should go and become the world's most successful ebook author. And yeah, man. Just, uh, yeah, just, why not? Just yeah. pu- just publish Arya, the Bravos years. You know, start just, a Patreon and just <laughs> well, Game of Thrones. Game writing of Thrones. is hard. Game of Thrones. Writing it is happens. Hard. Yeah, that's a that is a great little bow to put on this discussion yeah cool well why don't we really quick go around and uh talk about what we've been watching this week things you would recommend that people go check out sage sure yeah okay so i got two things i'm watching a show called fleabag by uh phoebe waller bridge that is amazing it It is amazing yeah that show is phenomenal um it's a 30 minute comedy show um, romantic comedy show that is like the vulgarest piece of television you'll watch and some of the best editing you'll see as well and then the other show is you know if you're feeling like you need something to f- fill in the game of thrones uh vacuum in your life um may i introduce you to south korean reality television um which happens to be the subject 
of my last video. Uh, so this is a little bit of shameless self-promotion. Self yeah. um, but if you watch my video, yeah, I'll spend 10 minutes explaining to you <laughs> why this is such a great investment of your time. Um, it's, a, it's a show called The Genius. Um, it's basically... It's basically Game of Thrones, but with board games. Man, that's a great elevator pitch now that I said that uh, on top down. of my head. Um, but yeah, so those. Check out. Check so out. curious yeah. about what you're talking about. So yeah. go watch Sage's video and then go watch Genius. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, Alex, what about you? Um, so I'm late to the party on this, but uh, my good friend Dan uh, always likes to show me episodes of Documentary Now when we hang out. It's on Netflix. Um, it's a, It originally aired on IFC. But it's the show created by uh, Fred Armisen and Bill Hader. Oh, my God. And yeah, Michael, you haven't watched this? No. I think you'd love it. That sounds amazing. I think you really love it because it's such an interesting show. It's It's got such a specific sense of humor, which is, I think, once again, I think you'd love it, Michael, as a Portlandia fan. Right. Um, it's basically very... Um, it's very dedicated to nailing the actual aesthetic of real documentaries, but they're just all star Bill Hader and Fred Armisen. <laughs> <laughs> and they just have this, and they just kind of go off the deep end basically by the end of the episode. But they really, they're so dedicated to making it feel like you're watching PBS. And this is, it's called Documentary Now. And that's what the show is called. And every episode is introduced by Helen Mirren. And oh she says, God. you know, this is episode like 501 of Documentary Now. You know, and this, we're going to retrospectively look back at this classic documentary. And they, they mock everything from, you know, chef's table style stuff to uh, they have a great episode in the season one that's mocking Vice News. And they just nail it. And it's, it's got that weird sense of humor where they're just playing it pretty earnestly most of the time, but it's just a little off. And it's Fred Armisen and Bill Hader, and they're just geniuses. So I highly recommend Documentary Now. It's on Netflix. may not be for everybody, but if you've got a weird Bill Hader, Fred <laughs> Armisen sense of humor, you'll love it. Awesome. Uh, cool. Alt Shift X, what are you watching? I've been getting into Dark, belatedly. Um, it seems like Taylor made uh to make videos about just because it's so ludicrously complicated and mysterious and interesting so shameless self-promotion there might be a video about that coming i'd, I'd also add that yeah gotta Fleabag, do it you gotta do it fleabag <laughs> really is amazing i couldn't recommend that more um it's only 12 episodes long too so i feel like i'm like recommending that it's a great show but then afterwards you'll be like oh there's, there's not enough of this wait in its entirety and it's, there's six episodes in season one, six episodes in season two, and they were made three years apart. So uh, the last season came out this year, which means probably not going to see any more episodes for a while. But yeah, those wow. those 12 episodes have some of the best sexual tension ever put <laughs> to screen. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it is it is good. And I've also seen Childhood's End, which is... Uh, a, a, a poor adaptation of the book, but it does have Charles Dance in a memorable costume. So I suggest <laughs> you all check that out. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, well, I've just been, you know, like everyone else, making my way through Stranger Things season three. And it's it's an interesting entry in the how do you continue a story maybe past where it needed to go. But I feel like they're doing like a good job of keeping it interesting and relevant and developing the characters in a in a believable way that that makes it fun to keep going so i'm only halfway through i'm gonna see how it ends but it's uh it's impressive to me what they've been able to do with a show that i felt like really only needed the one season um 
but I'm I'm enjoying that they've gone this far with it so far. Yeah. So Sage Ultrafex, thank you so so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Uh, where can people find you online? What are your socials? Sure. Yeah. So uh, the channel is called Just Right. Um, w R I T E because it's a pun. <laughs> I am very. <laughs> I'm 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 just the world's most clever man. Um, and uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Sage Hyden. Um, and uh, that's it. That's it. And you have a great video about puns, also. So, thank you. Check thank that you. Out. That's like my favorite one. Yeah. Um, it's just me punning for <laughs> five minutes straight. <laughs> I gotta great. watch that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alt Shift X. Where can people find you? Uh, on YouTube, you can find Alt Shift X, A L T Shift X, and uh, and you can also find Alt Shift uh zzz and alt swift x and... uh, we, we, we don't talk about that guy <laughs> don't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's somebody else oh that yeah that's a different yeah i don't know him um <laughs> but yeah no thanks so much for having me michael yeah this is great thank you guys so much um thank you everyone for listening be sure to share the podcast subscribe if you haven't leave us a review on itunes and uh yeah hope you enjoyed the conversation and we'll see you next time bye cheese <laughs> <laughs>